Welcome, my name is Anders Bolling, and this is Mind the Shift, a podcast about a shifting world and shifting minds. Today's episode may shift your mind more than usual, depending on how used you are to venturing outside of the mainstream. My guest today is the author, scientist, explorer, and politician, Michael Tellinger. He was born in Czechoslovakia in 1960, but in 1968, his family fled to South Africa. Already in high school, he opened a door to the possibility that what was being taught wasn't true, or at least not the whole truth. He graduated in 1983 from the University of Witwatersrand Medical School in Johannesburg with a pharmacy degree. He spent much of his early years performing on stage and had several music hits in South Africa in the 1980s. Tellinger began investigating the origins of humankind first by exploring the many unexplained features of our DNA, and later by exploring the many unexplained symbols and ancient remains all over the world that are pointing to the same kind of origin, but which traditional and conventional scholars have dismissed or been blind to. During the last decade, he has devoted much energy to the Ubuntu party and movement, a project which seeks the liberation of humanity from the enslavement of money and other millennia-old structures, but which starts off in a humble, hands-on way, namely to step-by-step step change the governance of one small town. He has written four books and held innumerable talks and seminars. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hello, Anders. Lovely to meet you, and uh, thank you for inviting me on your show. So, was that pretty much... Uh, uh, a, a correct bio that I that I just said there, or do you want to add something? Yeah, it, it, I guess it was a little snippet of my life. Um, you put a smile on my face with a few things that you mentioned, like uh, that. Uh, you know, you, you described me as a politician. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but you you did run for a president at one point, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did uh, with the Ubuntu Party that was started in two thousand and nine, and officially became a political party. Oh, it was a movement uh, that we started, the Ubuntu movement, and it became a political party officially in 2010. And then we yeah. ran in 2012, 2014, and 2016 in South Africa and also in the UK and Australia, Canada, we almost ran, and also almost in the USA. But there were about 60 other countries around the world that wanted to start the Ubuntu parties in their countries. Uh, fortunately, and thank God for that, uh, we got wiser to the fact that we cannot inject a seed of consciousness into the political beast. No. And it was the years that I spent, or eight years I spent in South African politics, um, realizing uh, in the beginning, I believe that we could inject a seed of consciousness into the political beast and turn it, turn it around from within, uh, but only after being involved in it and learning from really walking the talk in the political arena in South Africa and in other countries. That, that, that is very difficult and almost impossible to do. Um, and yeah, but Maybe first, it was just pre premature. I, yeah, well, it was premature, but also I realized that the political system is completely and utterly controlled by, by external forces, very powerful forces that, that hide in shadows. It's very difficult to, to, to really determine who those forces are. Yeah. Uh, Something called the global elite or the Illuminati or whatever. It's only when you're inside that you realize how powerful those individuals are. And, and yeah. the most important thing is that they have an, they have an infinite supply of money. Mm. And that is the thing that it's very, very difficult to, to take them on 
in that arena. Or whatever it is. Yes, many people are talking about these things. And we're going to come back to that, of course. You have touched upon so many of the biggest questions that we can possibly ask ourselves about who we are, where, where we come from, and, and where we are heading. So it's really difficult to know where to start, actually. But if you bear with me here, just to take the bull by the horns, let me try to give our listeners a quickie of your findings and theories. And you can have the possibility to correct me afterwards, <laughs> if need be. It takes about 100 seconds. So here we go. The history of human civilization dates much further back than what the mainstream tells us, possibly hundreds of thousands of years. A cataclysmic flood wiped most of it away about 12,000 years ago, but faint memories remain in the form of legends and also symbols and remnants, which are mostly misinterpreted by the mainstream. The DNA and the brain of Homo sapiens developed somewhat inexplicably quickly, rapidly, some 200,000 years ago. As it seems, this DNA boost long ago was orchestrated by an alien species that arrived on Earth. The Sumerians and others refer to it as the Anunnaki. They're vaguely remembered in many ancient legends as gods or demigods. The sad flip side to this gene modification, which may have included inserting Anunnaki uh, genes and may have included turning off parts of the DNA, is that what at least partly that it was at least partly done to enslave humans. The Anunnaki needed to extract gold. This creation of humankind as we know it took place in Southern Africa. A bloodline of rulers from the Anunnaki era has remained throughout human history. And this has enabled the money-based top-down system to continue and explains our long estrangement from the paradise-like world we could have created. But today, humankind is finally waking up from this materialistic dream. Millions realize we had to live out of, out of love and respect for one another. And this is what the project Ubuntu One Small Town is all about. Okay, was that right? Yes, yes. Um, uh, I think it's, it's important to go back to the question that you opened up with, you know, who are we, where do we come from and why are we here? It's that eternal question that I think everybody alive has asked themselves at some stage in their life. And unfortunately, we don't really have the answers to those questions. And, and I've, I've found that even as a young teenager and then at university throughout my life, I found that a very perplexing problem. Well, how come we don't know who we are and where we come from? Haven't the ancients and the people in ancient times handed down information and knowledge? And, and, uh, and why, how come we don't know what happened in ancient times? Why do we keep discovering new ancient civilizations and new incredible structures and, and ancient ruins and temples that were built in times immemorial. And we know nothing about these civilizations. And we wonder and, and, and marvel at the, the complexity of the structures. And, uh, and I have a serious problem with that. I'm not the only one. There are millions of people that have a problem with that. So um, clearly what, what I discovered in my research, as many others, is that there's definitely been a, a lot of manipulation of humanity. There's been a lot of uh, uh, propaganda and removing of knowledge and information from our history. Uh, keep in mind that all our history books that we have today are all written by the victors or those who control the system. They write history according to their narrative, according to their agenda, and things get removed. So what we think we know about our human history 
from my research is so far removed from what really happened is that we wouldn't even recognize what really happened if it was presented to us because it is so different and so so removed from what we were told as the very clinical and sterile story of, of humanity and the history of the world. And uh, fortunately for me is I've landed in a very uh, interesting and uh, privileged situation of having discovered the ancient civilizations of Southern Africa, having discovered the, the largest concentration of ancient ruins anywhere on earth. I've discovered the ancient technology that was used. I've now discovered the fossils of humanoids, of reptilians, and even of giants. And so you start to realize that the evidence is all around us. It also, the fact that I've discovered these fossils also is an indication that we had not just one flood, but several floods because of the way that the structures were constructed over hundreds of thousands of years. And, and the research goes into uh, very clearly showing that these structures and the evidence at the presence of these beings in Southern Africa goes back not just tens of thousands, but hundreds of thousands of years. At this stage, we can trace it back to around 300,000 years, but it probably goes back even much further than that. We're talking about half a million years and possibly even much further back in time where we had activity by advanced beings or beings with advanced technology, most likely uh, the Anunnaki, as the Sumerian texts call them, the Anuna, the Anuna gods that then became known as the Anunnaki by some authors and people that have researched them. So many of your listeners or some of your listeners will know them as the Anunnaki. And here in Southern Africa, I have discovered and uncovered um, the physical evidence for the presence of the Anunnaki, the ancient gold mining, the technology, some of the sites that they left behind, like Adam's calendar, and, uh, and, and so much more. It is truly a spectacular, uh, mind-opening uh, revisiting of our human history and the history of the world, and, uh, and a very exciting discovery because Anyone with an open mind will start to recognize some of these uh, discoveries. And keep in mind that uh, because everything is driven and everything is c controlled and driven and is brought into creation by sound and resonance. This is the, the key fundamental thing. So mm -hmm. everything in our creation is controlled by sound and resonance. Sound as we experience it here and resonance that would resonate throughout all of creation. And, and therefore, even our DNA is, is a construct of resonance. So, and the frequencies in our DNA that hold our DNA together have those encoded memories in the DNA, whether the genes are turned off or on, the information is in there. Mm. And, uh, and when all, we recognize together, yeah. Mm. Exactly. So when we find and read something that resonates with us as the truth from the past or the truth about the cosmos or the truth about anything. There is an instant resonance that happens with, within our genetic makeup and we can feel it. And this is when people yeah. say something, when, when people often say, when I've heard some, I've heard you say that I really resonate with it. I really exactly. feel that you're telling yeah. me. And, and we don't know why and how we feel so strongly about it. But again, I, I do a lot of you know, in-depth lectures and, and teachings about mm. sound resonance, um, quantum mechanics, uh, the, the, the whole particle physics thing and how resonance uh, holds everything together. So people can watch some of my lectures on YouTube and uh, I'll be doing a lot more in time to come. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the DNA, DNA thing because 
as you say, this word resonate, it resonates with me. It's a very good English expression. We don't have it in my mother tongue in Swedish. We don't, we don't express ourselves in that way, but it's really beautiful because uh, one of the things, one of the many things that you have been teaching about and that, that I've been um, reading and listening, reading about and listening to that have, that has really resonated with me, not all of what you say does that, but one thing that really resonated with me was this discovery that you made when you were already, I think, 18 or 19 years old, or that's when you first started thinking about these things, the DNA that is apparently dormant. And I mean, scientists, mainstream scientists even talk about junk DNA, that something like 95% of the DNA, the, the, the double helix, should be dormant and not active, which doesn't really make sense. I mean, why should creation create the universe, God or whatever, create something that is not, I mean, that is more advanced than what is used. So it doesn't make sense. And can you tell us a little bit about what that made you uh, go further into, dive into here? Yeah, it's, it's, it's really important. And now, you know, we got to just jump, jump to today because today we know so much more. And to, today we can create synthetic DNA. We can program the DNA to do anything we want. They can program the DNA to create any creature they can imagine. And maybe some of your listeners aren't aware of it, but this is how far the, the advancement in genetic studies and genetic manipulation has gone. It is actually very scary. It's very disturbing uh, when people realize what the geneticists can actually do today it is actually almost it's way beyond a science fiction movie and yet that capacity is in our hands right now so but now how come this information isn't getting into the mainstream because yeah this you start realizing that the mainstream is controlled by those shadowy figures that hide behind the the veil or the the wizard of oz right Uh, that's pretty much the story of the wizard of oz those who control the world from behind the, invis- the screen and from the shadows and, and make people do what they want them to do and tell them stories maybe, maybe that they want to... Sh- we should clarify that. I don't know if this is the, the right point to do that, but when you talk about these, these entities or, or shadowy figures, I think many people are, are thinking that, oh, there are some human beings that are, that are evil and bad and some are good and, and not... I mean, so we, we should try to pinpoint those human beings that are bad for us and that are controlling and they're pulling the strings like you know this controversial figure in great britain david ike is talking about these the cult that as he, he calls it uh, i have so i have a i have a problem with that way of thinking but i i think that me and many others could perhaps more fathom a, an idea that it's something non-physical some kind of some kind of force some kind of power that is ancient that is controlling uh, us in a way, but not not specifically through s- certain specific people. Or what's what's your take on that? Is it are we talking about bad people or okay, good, uh, good uh, people? You know, <laughs> yeah, it's a simple question that you ask, and, and and people ask very simple questions often, and they expect simple and direct answers. Unfortunately, the answers are not that simple. The answers are very complex because of how little we know about the history of our planet and the history of our species and the history of other creatures and beings that inhabited this world of ours. It is quite possible from the information that I have now that the history of this world goes back not just millions, but billions of years it, with, with activity of advanced beings and advanced creatures, having done things here over and over and over again, and then a big flood or some event happens and wipes everything clean, and then it all starts again, and then some other beings arrive, who knows where they come from, and they settle the planet, and they create things, and they clone things, and just like we cloning animals and creatures and plants... And and, and GMO food. I mean, we're doing it on a scale that people are just, 
just they don't realize the scale at which we're creating new species all the time with GMO manipulation, right? It's mm. nothing, but people don't think of it like that. So if we have the, the knowledge of genetically modifying and genetically creating something and being able to program DNA and make DNA do anything we want and cross any species and create any creature we can imagine, if we can do that today, can you imagine how advanced the beings were that had the full knowledge of this? Because we've only rediscovered this knowledge. And it seems to me from all the research that I've done, and not just myself, many other very smart people out there and researchers uh, that are a lot smarter than me, have recognized the fact that the Anunnaki were some of the master genetic manipulators that we have ever read about and come across in our ancient human history. So it seems that, that uh, and I forgot the, 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 the line of thought that we are talking oh, about. Sorry. But talk <laughs> yeah, about well, the, 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 DNA, the DNA, yes. Being uh, dormant. The, the DNA. Yeah. Yes. So if you speak to any modern geneticist that is allowed to speak, keep in mind that most of the top geneticists today work for private corporation, pharmaceutical companies, and, and, pharma, and, and, and companies that have a very uh, personal interest in controlling a certain sector of the health and medicine industry and genetic industry. So they're not going to release information and their geneticists are under very strict non-disclosure orders. So you can't talk to those people. They will not tell you anything. But when you do have the opportunity, and like I've had the great pleasure of meeting several independent geneticists that are world-leading geneticists, and one of them lives here in Johannesburg, believe it or not, um, they tell you straight away, the human DNA is not an evolved DNA. The human DNA is a patchwork of spliced pieces of DNA spliced together. That's what the human DNA is. Now, hmm. if people have a problem, that's okay. They must go away and do their research and it might take a lifetime or it might take a day and they will reach the same conclusion that I've reached a long time ago. And once you reach that conclusion, you realize that pretty much everything we read in the Sumerian texts, everything we read about in mythology as opposed to history is much closer to the history of the world and the beings and the creatures that once occupied the world than anything we read in the modern um, sterile history books that are presented to us by mostly Eurocentric historians. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Uh, this thing about uh, the Sumerian tablets that you mentioned here, uh, I know that other, other, others have, have studied those, uh, not the mainstream, because they have discarded them as not being important well, at all. Well, actually but, not but true. Th th there was... Yeah, there was, that's was not like, true. The mainstream, the mainstream studies, the mainstream studies, the Sumerian text in 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 huge numbers. But what okay. the mainstream does, and I'm talking about mainstream universities, like, like Oxford yeah. University, they've got a whole Sumerian text thing on their website. You can go and, and look at thousands and thousands of translations of the Sumerian. Okay, text. sorry, I was. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm just a. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So so there there have been hundreds of scholars, maybe thousands, that have studied the Sumerian texts but there's only a few of them that have actually had the mental capacity and the open mind to recognize what it is that they're talking about. Because if you believe that it's garbage, then unfortunately, then you're going to think that it's somebody's fairy tale or, uh, and I refuse to believe that thousands of years ago when writing was a novelty, not when not everybody was writing, only a few people knew how to write. It's only the, the king, the priest, kings, the scribes, 
and some of the very uh, the royal political elite in ancient times probably knew how to write. So I refuse to believe that they wrote, that they created millions of clay tablets. And we're dealing with millions, not just thousands. Oh, really? Millions of tablets just to waste their time, right? Yeah, yeah you, to, you have a good point there, yeah. I mean, why should they? Exactly. So that, that is just the arrogance of mainstream academia. And this is, you, you bump against this all the time. And myself, like an independent researcher, an independent scientist that is not associated with a mainstream university, I'm, we're always targeted by the mainstream. So while you're studying at the university, you're okay. You're a good guy. You get your degree from the university, you're still a good guy. But the moment you go against the mainstream because of your own research as an independent, then you become a bad guy. So hmm. is it? Is it like, really? So is my, graduate, my, my qualification from the university no longer good enough when I challenge those who educated me? And you realize how the mainstream education system is actually one of the biggest problems we have. And anyone that has researched this will recognize that the existing mainstream education system we have was created specifically for that purpose, to control knowledge and information so that it does not get out and inform the people. And, mm. and if people if are not aware of this, this is going to be a big shock to them. And unfortunately, our entire education system is structured exactly for that purpose. Not to, not to uh, you know, help people in life, it's actually just to create a future obedient labor force. That's what the education system is all about. Well, I think some people are in the political sphere are talking about it in, in more or less the same way, but not as dramatically as you are. And some people also who are critical towards the education system talk about groupthink, for instance. That's one yeah. thing. So, I mean, there, there is criticism out there against the, the system, but it's not on that scale, maybe, that you are talking yeah. about here. Well, I know, you know, when I, I've had hundreds of emails, and I mean, literally, you know, over the last 20 years, uh, of the last 15 years since I released Slave Species of God, uh, my first book. Uh, I've had way over 100 emails, maybe 200 emails from senior academics senior archaeologists or geneticists and, and people in senior positions that, you know, that, that email me and thank me for the work and the research. And they say they support me completely and, uh, and they're on my, on my side and on my page, but they cannot support me uh, publicly because they'll get fired. Yeah. <laughs> but when, when, they, when they retire, maybe they can step forward. Have you, have you experienced that? Yeah. We, we, we don't need that. You know, we, we, people like yeah. myself, there are, there are hundreds and thousands of independent researchers and yeah. what's becoming very clear to me, and it has been for, for probably at least 10 years now, is that the, the fringe is becoming the mainstream. It is, it's a beautiful thing to perceive. Hmm. Wonderful. Uh, there's a guy called, or was a guy called Zakaria Sitchin. He wrote uh, about uh, 40, 40 years ago about an extraterrestrial race called Anunnaki. I mean, uh, referring to the Sumerian uh, text about this and uh, which was involved in the origins of humankind. Have you been uh, influenced by, by this guy, Zakaria Sitchin? This, uh, this yes, I, I'm, your... I, I, I suppose I'm one of millions of people around the world that was highly inspired and opened my eyes to the real history of the world that exactly like I mentioned earlier, what we read in mythology is a lot closer to the true human history than mm. stream history tells us. Uh, yeah. So when Zachariah Sitchin's work, now I'm not saying he's correct on everything, 
even if he's correct on 10% of, of the information, um, a lot of the translations that he, that he has done of the Sumerian text, and for people that don't know, Sitchin is obviously well known for translating a lot of Sumerian texts and putting those into books, his own books that made him very famous, and basically exposing the existence of the Anuna. Now, it's quite possible that the Anuna or the Anunnaki are the, what, what the Bible refers to as the Anakim, and, and the giants, and keep in mind that the Bible and ancient texts refer to these things all the time. But mainstream history, through mainstream academia and mainstream science, that's another very sensitive subject with me, this mainstream science and science, you know, <laughs> follow the... Yeah. <laughs> really? So uh, how, how mainstream education and science has removed all this ancient knowledge and information so that they can present this very sterile education syllabus to the children at school and then in high school and then in college and university. And that is so far removed from what's really going out there. Even the physics they teach us, the, the, it, it's unbelievable what's going on. You know, people come to my lectures and they, they, they sit through a, a half day workshop or a full day workshop and they get exposed to, to quantum mechanics and particle physics the way that I teach it. And I explain how simple it is to understand everything from the from very basic principles coming at it from a completely the opposite uh, what I was taught at university in physics and chemistry and all that. Suddenly, everything makes sense. Once you realize the fundamental structure and the fundamental laws of nature around us, you can explain everything and anything around us in creation. It is a beautiful thing uh, to mm. understand. Yeah. But don't you think it's just a matter of being, uh, I mean, that, that knowledge is, um, is uh, there's a delay in our knowledge and that schools and universities are like 20 years behind the, the, the cutting edge science. Yes. And eventually yes, it is. And that, that we're learning will be taught in, in schools and universities as well. No, I don't think so. I think that the, the 20 years behind is a big problem. So now mm -hmm. you teach children and college students Information that's 20 years old. I mean, how can you get away with that? You know, that's yeah. completely just that alone shows you how out of sync and out of step our entire education system is. The entire education of the world has to be completely and utterly overhauled. The whole idea of exams and passing an exam. And if you don't pass the exam, you fail. I mean, I'll give you an example. You know, they still teach in physics. Uh, this, the molecular structure uh, and atomic structure. And they still teach the old, ignorant, naive, and completely incorrect shape of the atomic structure. Yeah. And keep telling think, us... Think, things rotating, rotating around things. Exactly, yes. Things are, and, and electrons spinning around. And then these electrons and these le levels of electrons. And then the nucleus. And the nucleus is so dense... And they teach the incorrect atomic model. And then they teach us, for example, uh, things like uh, inside the, 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 the atom, uh, the nucleus, um, there, there, there are the, 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 the thing that holds the nucleus together is the strong force. Mm -hmm. it's, like the, it's like we don't know what holds the nucleus together, so they give it a name. And once we give it a name, then that becomes the answer in the exam. Well, we don't know what it is. How can no. you give it a name? know what it is and don't understand how the particles fit together so they say oh the particles are held together by other particles called gluons and they keep making up more bs and more bs because they don't understand how things work because they haven't figured out 
the fundamental structure of the nature of reality, how sound and resonance is the source code for everything. And when I say everything, I literally mean everything. Everything manifests into physical form and reality as we see it around us out of the primordial source code of sound and resonance. And this is when you read the Bible, the opening statement of the Bible, you know, the spirit of God moved over the waters where the water came from is a whole nother subject, but the water was already there, but let's not go down that rabbit hole right now. Let's talk about the spirit of God moved over the waters. And then God said, let there be light. So it's very yeah. clear that that statement tells us the sequence of events of creation or manifestation is just put into a story of the creator or the creator source or God, whatever you want to call it. And this is the beauty of once you understand that sound and resonance is a primordial source of everything, that even that sound gives birth to light. And when light and sound combined, they give birth to the physical matter that we visualize and see around us. And you need to understand the relationship between sound and light. And until people understand that, they will forever struggle with understanding how everything works. So these are basic fundamental things that we should be teaching at grade one, not at mm. university. Grade one, yeah. you know, first yeah. year at school, how to plant seeds, how to respect water, and how the nature of reality works around us coming out of sound and resonance. I tell you what, if you do that to children, we will all grow up, grow up into being very balanced and normal adults that can absorb all other information because we'll be able to explain everything and anything in creation. Wow, that sounds wonderful. Well, hopefully that will that'll happen. I guess it's called, many people talk about energy of course everything is energy and it's you talk about sound sound as being the primordial kind of uh, energy it's 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 all vibration isn't it i mean sound and light resonance. and everything resonance. Is, resonance and vibration is 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 the same thing basically so it's yeah. yes. it's all we're all bathing in this yeah. in this unified energy soup <laughs> so to speak yes okay. exactly you know this is why every time your heart beats keep in mind that every time your heart beats it creates a very powerful uh, toroidal field, electromagnetic yeah. field in your body. Much, much stronger than the brain, I, I, I hear. Uh, much stronger. 5,000 mm -hmm. times stronger. I think, uh, 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 what's his name? The, 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 well, many people have done research on this. And it's shown that you know, your heart beats in your, in your heart. And your heart actually has a consciousness and a brain of its own. This is just like a, this is just like a uh, what do you call it? A, an interface. The brain is just an interface to process the neurons and... And all the nerve endings and all that stuff, you know, the heart is actually what matters. And this is why so many people say, feel your heart. What do you feel in your heart? Not what do you think with your brain? What do you feel in your heart? You see, we have these expressions in our language, yeah. right? Bad vibe in the room. I walked into the party. There was a really bad vibe at the party. So I left. Mm. Vibration. We can yeah. feel it, you mm. know. So we have these expressions in our language, but we don't really comprehend what they mean. Maybe we're starting to understand. Well, let's go back to your research on the, the more hands-on research, uh, considering the, the, the origins of, of humankind. Uh, yeah. Now you have, you have come to the conclusion that, that what happened in Southern Africa was really, really crucial. And one might think that uh, as a layman listening to you, that maybe it's just because you are based there, you are in Southern Africa, that you say these things, but you really mean that Southern Africa was crucial when, when uh, Homo sapiens, as we know it, the species was, was created, so to speak. Is that correct? Yeah. Look, uh, I've got to clarify this. I'm not yeah. saying that South Africa or Southern Africa is where the oldest civilizations are found. There are mysterious ancient ruins all over the world. Okay. And it's quite 
that a million years ago, some weird group of people lived in Japan and five million years ago, some other weird people lived in Mexico. You know, it's anything is possible right now. I would like all your viewers and listeners to open your mind and imagine that anything is possible because everything we've been told by our so-called teachers is most a lie. Most of it is a lie. There's a little bit of, but everything, all the embellishments stacked on top of it, that has all been a lie. Or just ignorance and oblivion. Or just ignorance and oblivion. Ignorance and oblivion. But, but hold on. There is, the, the, it's not through ignorance. It's, it's very calculated, maliciously inserted lies. Because, the, and this has been going on for thousands of years. Think about how little we know about the First World War. What started the First World War? How little we know about, about uh, the Second World War. I mean, we, you know, there's, so, there's so much new information coming out about the Second World War that is shocking that we didn't know. That goes against the narrative that we were told by the mainstream media. The, the education thing is a really big problem and many people still believe that, you know, you've got to you know, have a good education so you can get somewhere in life. But unfortunately, that is just part of the trap, the trap that we're all in. And, and I know that some people have a big problem with this because they really believe that universities and schools are doing a good job. Well, it looks like that on the surface, but if you really look back at how history books are written, history books are always written by those who win the wars and they will rewrite history. And they'll write history the way they want it to look. They will change the facts. They'll change the dates. They'll change the reasons. There might be a golden thread of truth. And the thread of truth might be the, the continuation of events or the, the, the success of one king to another king and so forth. Or, or, you know, this country invading that country or whatever. So there's always a thin, what I call the golden thread of truth. But uh, uh, everything around it has really been created and put into place by those who win the wars. So if we think we know anything about our human history, then we're just lying to ourselves. Mm. And we can that just even in the last hundred years, how history has been controlled and manipulated by the leaders, the dictators uh, that have taken control of countries and invaded other countries about why did we invade Iraq? Why did the USA invade Iraq? It's got nothing to do with weapons of mass destruction. I mean, they've even admitted that, but unfortunately the history books will show that they invaded Iraq because of weapons of mass destruction. And, and, you know, what happened in the Second World War? We know nothing about it because those who control the media, those who own the media, and this is where you have to start understanding to follow the money. If you don't follow the money and realize who controls it at the top, you will never understand or we will never understand what's really going on. And that, that really applies to everything. And education is one of the greatest examples. The education system as we have today was hijacked and taken over by the Rothschilds, Rockefeller, uh, Carnegie, uh, and the, the banking families of, around the world that control the central banks. They realized that by controlling the minds of the people and indoctrinating children with the textbooks and the information and the research that they place in, the, in, the, in our textbooks at school, that is a fantastic way to control humanity uh, program the children from an early age to believe certain things, present us with a certain set of rules and subjects that we have to study these subjects in boxes. And then if you don't study the subject, you fail, and then you're a failure and you're not going to be good for anyone. And these are all constructs that have been given to us and placed in front of us. And we've accepted it as society because most of us are good hearted people. We want to believe that our authorities and our leaders want to do good for us. Well, that's not the case. 
So, and just the, the, the example of all the research labs, the research laboratories around the world are all controlled and owned by the wealthy individuals, the large corporations that are then in turn controlled by the Rothschild banking empire. And we, I, I use the word Rothschild banking empire and all the different banking families that control all the central banks around the world. And, uh, and if we didn't mention this, please understand that all the central banks of all the countries are privately owned corporations. They do not belong to the government or they do not belong to the people. They are privately owned corporations that dictate the financial policy to each and every country. And uh, wow. once, we follow, once we follow this and you realize that we are completely controlled and manipulated and the textbooks that are given to us at school and at universities are predetermined, are, 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 are filled with information that is re released from the research labs controlled by the Rothschild banking empire, whether it's pharmaceutics, whether it's economics, uh, whether it's history, the information in the textbooks that come from the research labs, uh, are, it's, a, it's a propaganda tool. So this is why there's such a huge pushback by the pharmaceutical industry uh, against the cures for disease. And many of your listeners will know what, what I'm talking about because the cures for disease, for cancer, have been discovered over and over by different people at different times. But they, as quickly as it gets released, it gets shut down by the pharmaceutical industry because the pharmaceutical industry is not in the business of healing people. They're in the, in the business of treating people. This is, so, yeah, I can understand that. Many people are talking about that, but talking about the school system, schooling system in general, didn't that, I mean, on some level start hundreds of years ago, I mean, there have been schools all along, not, not general school, general public schools, that's a new thing, but yes. I mean, it started slowly in the, uh, I mean, five, six hundred years ago, there were schools, there were schools for, for monks and there were schools for educated, uh, for, for rich people. And then I think in Sweden, right. we had... Uh, already in the 1840s, uh, general public schools for kids. So you're talking about these yes. families that are controlling everything, but they're a, a later later uh, thing, isn't it? No, it's not. It's, it, it, it's exactly what you're talking about. When the schools and the universities first started, it was either controlled by the church or the royal families that controlled the country. And it was always for the elite. You couldn't go to those universities and group of, of people in those days, or you were chosen from among the peasants to rise to the level of aristocracy. So, and, and then once again, what was presented in those places was then preparing the people to join the aristocracy group classes that will then control the peasants. So it's just been the same thing over and over again. It's just as society morphed and changed into more uh, mechanization and industrial revolution and so forth. Um, the banking families that then control in, seven, in the 1760s from the Rothschilds, when the Rothschilds uh, banking empire arose in, in Central Europe uh, and, and they set up all their central banks across Europe, uh, that's when the complete control of our minds and, and our lives began. And, and that's just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And then uh, you realize how they've, how they've very carefully uh, structured the whole uh, faculty of economics and faculty of finance and all these things at all the universities. And they teach us what they want us to believe about money, the origins of money, how important money is, because they control it. So people need to understand, you've got to follow the money right the way to the top. And once you realize who controls the money, who has the right to print and create money out of nothing, just create money out of nothing and control the distribution of money worldwide to all the countries, to all the central banks of all the countries, and then lend money to those countries and the people pay it back with interest and become debt slaves, you realize how we are completely and utterly controlled. Now, mm -hmm. I, I was 
talking about, for example, in physics and, and how they still teach the, the, the incorrect model of the atomic model. You know, once we understand that everything manifests in our physical reality as a toroidal field, the same goes for atoms, the same goes for electrons, the same goes for solar systems and, and galaxies. Everything operates in toroidal field. We see pictures of it, right? Mm. And this goes, but yet, when you are writing exams, we know that what is in the in the textbooks is already dated and it's old, but they don't update it with the new information. And that is not by accident, it's it's by design. So we are kept in that we are kept dumbed down and ignorant, not by accident, but by design. And, and this you realize it, it goes for the, the support of our infrastructure, it goes for the support of our of our roads, our university, everything is not because our politicians are 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 useless, that they're incapable of doing something. It's because it's designed to function like this, to keep, make life constantly difficult for people. Otherwise, if you've got happy people, they've got everything they need, then you can't control them. Mm. So, so how did you start realizing that the, the story about the origins of humankind was false and a lie? Well, like I mentioned previously, is that once you realize that our DNA is not an evolved DNA, that there's a big problem with the DNA, and then you put that in, in, uh, in context with all the ancient civilizations that talk about, maybe, maybe not all, but many ancient civilizations that talk about humanity being created by the gods, and uh, it's over and over and over again. And then you see the venomous, non-stop attack by mainstream education and mainstream media that that's all lies and it's your imagination of people in old times because people in old times were stupid they didn't know what legends like. myths yeah, exactly and they turn them into legends and myths now keep in mind that for example the roman church let's talk about the romans because i think some people will probably be able to realize what's going on here so in the roman empire we have a very good example how we from mythology to in one single step. Now, in, in Rome, they had the gods. They had the pantheon of Roman gods, which were the same pantheon as the Greek gods, the same pantheon as the Sumerian gods, same pantheon as all the gods in you know, Norse mythology. It's always the same group of gods. They just have different names. But it's, they generally are the same ancient, very powerful beings that came from the sky, that controlled humanity, controlled the world. They had the power of flight. They had the power of special technology and laser beams and whatever. And I mean, in, in, in Hindu mythology, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Or Hindu religion, not mythology. Um, and then in Rome, so we've got these 12 gods and it's the Roman church. The Roman church and the 12 gods that, that, that prayed to the gods, that feared the gods, that had a physical relationship with the gods for, you know, several hundred years. And prior to that, you know, thousands of years that then turned into the Roman gods. And then at one point, at one point, they ceased to be the 12 Roman gods, and it's no longer the, the Roman church, but it suddenly becomes the universal. So it becomes the Roman Catholic church, and they no longer believe in the 12 gods, and now believe in the Holy Trinity. Just, one, just like this, from the Council of Nicaea uh, at, 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 in 325 AD, where Constantine, yeah. Emperor Constantine suddenly put together what we know as the Bible today, and you realize that this is how quickly history can change from mythology, the Roman gods to, to reality and modern history, the Roman Catholic church that controlled the world. That's just one very simple example. And very few people are even aware of this. So you've got to realize that humanity has been manipulated on every possible level for thousands and thousands of years. Mm -hmm. If you're at university and you write an exam, 
and they ask you, what is the force that holds the nucleus of the atom together? And if you don't answer, the strong force is what holds the nucleus together. You will fail. So you'll fail physics and you will not get a degree and you will not be able to have a successful career because you did not answer a predetermined answer, a, a predetermined question with a predetermined answer. Well, that answer is incorrect. That strong force does not exist. There is no thing as a strong force. It is a name that we created because we cannot understand how the nucleus of the atom is held together. So can you see where I'm going with this? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, but, but, but human beings have been ignorant for hundreds of years and we were ignorant about other things hundreds of years ago than we are today. And we are, we are constantly learning new things and, and pushing the envelope and, and uh, pushing the boundaries of what we know. Uh, isn't that a natural thing, <laughs> I guess? No, that's not a natural thing because the, we know the, the mainstream physicists, the guys out there know that there is no such thing as a strong force, that that's a fabrication. But yet we don't change it because they don't want to change it and they want to keep it like this. We've Maybe it's an approximation, approximation, like they say that Newton's laws is an approximation and then Einstein yeah. came, came along and he did it a little bit, he did a better job. So he explained a little bit more and well, you see my point. Yeah. Look, uh, th this is unfortunately an ongoing thing. So, so let's come back to my research and my, my, my yes. discovery, because uh, really what, what, uh, what becomes very clear from my discoveries is how little we know about uh, the history of the world, the history of the human race, the history of, of what went on here for thousands. And I'm talking about not just thousands of years, I'm talking about hundreds of thousands of years. So my discovery in South Africa of more than 10 million stone circle ruins that are all connected together with channels. And that again is connected together with terraces that, that cover entire mountains. It looks like a giant spider's web holding all these stone circle ruins together um, with no doors and entrances, one continuous structure that covers 450,000 square kilometers of Southern Africa. Wow. We know that there is a vanished civilization that it's in none of our history books. Nothing is known about who these people were, what they did, why they were here, what were they doing? How did they build this incredible structure? It's the largest engineering undertaking or construction uh, effort probably in the, in, in the his, history of the world, and, and yet nobody knows about it. And then you add to it the fact that this is not, these are not dwellings for people or animals, that these structures that I'm referring to is a machine. It's a giant machine that generates energy very simply by understanding the frequencies, how frequent sound resonance frequencies work, how that is converted into magnetic fields, and that in turn, in turn creates electromagnetic fields. And I know this because we've measured it over and over, over again. It's not, I think it is. We know it is scientifically. We've measured it different places. We know how much uh, magnetic fields come out. We know how what sound frequencies come out of the walls. We know how much electromagnetic fields come out of the walls. We how, can, have you, how have you gone, gone about uh, measuring this? That's fascinating. How did you measure oh, it? Oh, they're, they're very advanced devices, very advanced technological devices used by people, you know, that install satellites and satellite telecommunication and measure frequencies, electromagnetic fields, voltage, all these things. I mean, the technology exists for us to measure it because we're actually using aspects of this ancient knowledge in our telecommunications and so forth. But the aspects that we are used so that they can be used to control people and not to benefit people. What these guys understood is far more advanced than what knowledge we have today. 
actually not necessarily because actually there was a there was a, a, a Swedish or a Norwegian scientist uh, Henrik Holter I think his name was Henrik Holter that in 2017 18 won the Saab award the Saab award which is a big award as you may know coming from Scandinavia uh, and Saab award for science and technology and he designed the strongest and the most powerful antenna ever designed in history and it can both send and receive signals it is they claim it is thousands of times stronger than any other antenna well if you look at this antenna it's just a bunch of cones metal cones on a plate and that's when you realize he's just reinvented what the ancients knew hundreds of thousands of years ago and they were using that technology already then that we're just discovering today and I say that because if you follow my work, you'll understand that I discovered the cone-shaped tools and the torus stones, these donut-shaped stones that were used collectively together for generating energy and to directing energy to create Caesar beams and Caesar technology. Because that's mm. exactly what Henrik Halter's antenna does. It creates mm. beams of sound, and, uh, and I'll come back to sound, as opposed to uh, radio frequencies or whatever. So, so we're talking about a whole new way of looking te at technology, which is once again, which they don't teach at school. We still mm -hmm. teach at school that light is the fastest thing uh, in the universe, which is absolute, we still teach that at school. When everybody that studies, studies physics and understands the, the nature of the toroidal fields knows that that is not true, that, that, that sound, in certain stages, when it's called hypersound, or you can call it Caesar technology, sound is the ultimate thing that travels faster than anything else, not light. Mm. So, you know, so what I've discovered in South Africa is the physical evidence of this advanced technology. It's in my museum, the 30 meters where I'm sitting right now. When people yeah. come see the museum, they see this, these tools, see the everything, it changes the way they think about our world, our history, what we know and what we think we know about human origins, the history of the world, and how it all fits together. And what it does, it makes you realize how little we know and how dumb we are. And yet, uh, what I teach, and I'm very excited about teaching it because I know the effect it has on people. Once people come to terms of the toroidal fields, you can explain everything in science and physics, in the universe, how everything fits together. You can, you can explain how when Newton was wrong with his whole Newtonian physics rubbish that we teach at schools and how, how those that don't understand quantum mechanics and subatomic particles, and I keep screwing that up with, with just, the, it's a mess of un, universal proportion. These guys that work at CERN and work with quantum mechanics and these so-called God particles and all that, they're lying to the people with what they claim they discovered. And theoretic crap that they shove down our throats, they give it a name like the God particle and this particle and, and then neutrinos and bosinos and leptons and quarks and, 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 and uh, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's all resonance. It's all, it's all basically resonance yes. and toroidal yes. fields. So once you, you know, once we, once we realize that we have the, the comprehension of how toroidal fields work, spin this way and a spin that way, and, and then you start realizing how they give it the wrong names. They call it, you know, um, they call it uh, angular momentum and spin and subatomic particles all have spin. What they're not telling you is that they're actually just measuring the one part of the particle that is spinning and they're measuring that and they don't realize that it's actually connected to, so I, look, I'm just giving you the very, 
basic understanding. Yeah, so yeah, just yeah, yeah. to maybe is, inspire people to go and research this or watch some of my lectures on, on YouTube. It's very big. But going back to what you found on the ground, the stone circuits and this big machine, as you say, it was created by, uh, your, your theory is that this was created by, by an extraterrestrial uh, race that, that uh, arrived on Earth and, um, and manipulated the, the species that later became Homo sapiens that are us, so to speak. And there was yes. hundreds of thousands of years of manipulation and, and interaction between that race and, and us. And that's why it was so that we were so rapidly developing uh, inexplicably some two, three, yes. four hundred thousand years ago. And so yes. what's, your, what's your take on that? What's your evidence for that? And, and, uh, well, yeah. the Sumerian texts are full of the creation story. How Enki, uh, which is the, the supreme commander of, the, of the, the Anuna, uh, the Anuna are basically these beings that are all over the Sumerian texts. It's mm. almost impossible to read a, clay, a Sumerian clay tablet without the reference to the Anuna or what they were doing or how they, they were interfering with the activities of the people. Uh, keep in mind that the Sumerians keep repeating and telling us that they, they got their knowledge from a time before time. They mm. weren't the discovered it. They were given that time, the, the knowledge and information uh, that was handed down to them from uh, an advanced species of beings, an advanced race of beings that goes to a time before time. So the Sumerian clay tablets are already probably far, far removed from what, from what was really going on, but they did have a lot of knowledge that we've pretty much Inherited and everything that we read in the, the Bible from the creation story, from the, the Adam of the, the Garden of Eden, from the flood, the Noah's flood, from Abraham to uh, it's, all of it is, is in the originally in the Sumerian text, the Sumerian clay tablets. And yeah. it is also in other civilizations. The, the great flood is one of the most commonly repeated stories in all ancient civilizations. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. More, I think more like 600 accounts of the flood in different civilizations and cultures around the world. It's the same event. But yeah. what we have here in South Africa is we got the evidence of the Anunnaki or the Anunnaki by some scholars uh, and Enki being the supreme commander of the Anunnaki um, and, uh, and his mission on this planet of ours seems to be single-minded and that's to find gold and mine gold. And let me tell you, when you start going down that rabbit hole and you realize how much gold these guys were mining, it changes your perception to, towards the, the, what they were really doing and, and um, the technology that they had. So I already mentioned that we have more than 10 million of these stone circles here. It's, uh, think, if you think about it, it's a giant machine that was generating an insane amount of energy. I've always assumed that this, this energy was used for the gold mining because we have thousands of ancient gold mines here in Southern Africa, thousands, There's just, you know, a few gold mines. We talk about thousands of gold mines. Some of them are small gold mines uh, that have been rediscovered and reopened in the last 150 years. Some of them are vast open gold mines that are 30 kilometers across. Uh, for example, the one below Adam's calendar, which is turning out that that entire basin below Adam's calendar which has been called an impact crater or a volcano is neither a volcano nor an impact crater. It's actually now turning out to be an ancient gold mine that was mm. by the Anunnaki. And this is possibly why Adam's calendar is sitting right on the edge, looking down on this ancient gold mine. So mm. I can talk more about that, but um, 
but it's not just a, a Adam's calendar is not just a calendar. Again, it's a machine. It's a very powerful toroidal field generating machine. And I've uh, ample evidence to suggest there was actually a teleportation device, mm-hmm. which likely used to either teleport themselves, just like in Star, Star Trek, right? Beam me up, Scotty. It's that yeah. kind of device. Um, and, uh, and they were either beaming themselves up and down from wherever they come from. And it was also to beam up the gold to wherever they needed the gold. So they were literally using earth as a gold mine to get the gold. Yeah. The, the well, movie. I, 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 the, the, no, I just have a hard time wrapping my head around this uh, concept of a, of a very advanced race of a very advanced civilization coming here to earth, uh, digging for gold because gold is a physical material thing. It's a, it's a metal and they come here, they, they, they know how to, how to utilize the basic forces of the universe and can travel thousands of light years probably. And then they also enslave this, uh, enslave humans. If they're so much more advanced and probably closer to divine truths, why did they enslave homosexuals? Why this harsh treatment, so to speak? Have you got any thoughts on that? Well, the, the, we are never referred to as, as, as humans uh, in all the Sumerian texts, and especially in the more recent works and translations of Anton Parks, who I highly recommend that your listeners go and research. He's a French researcher who's at this stage, unquestionably the, the number one translator of the Sumerian texts. And, and he can connect all the languages of the world to the Sumerian language uh, very successfully. And so his translations very clearly show that that we were never referred to as, as a, a conscious being. We we're always the creature, the beast, the animal. That's what it was. Uh, mm. So you can imagine literally like what you see in the science fiction movies where you mm-hmm. see people being cloned and bred and grown in these big sacks with an amniotic tube. And that's exactly what they were doing. In fact, we mm. have cloning chambers here in South Africa, these hexagonal ruins that look like a honeycomb with dozens and dozens of little chambers in them where the Anunnaki were cloning the first, you know, adult body shapes. Hmm. Now, again, you know, how can I say this? Because if you're a true scientist, you do not close your mind. Because the moment you close your mind, you deprive yourself of valuable information that you may not be ready to receive. You may not understand at the time. But when you're ready to understand that knowledge, it'll become very, very valuable. Can you imagine yeah. trying to teach advanced quantum mechanics to somebody in grade one? It's not going to work. You first have to take the students on a journey of discovery and increasing the levels of information up to the point where they can start seeing the bigger picture. And that's what happens. So when people reach a moment of enlightenment, when people reach a, you know, uh, et cetera, and they wanna know more, they're open and information comes. Uh, once we embrace the concept of sound, resonance, and frequency as being the primordial source of creation, we can understand how we can tap telepathically into anyone, anywhere, across space and time. Because remember what I mentioned earlier, sound and resonance travels instantly, instantly from here right across all space and time. So we can tap into all information, all knowledge at, at any time through the capacity of our brain, especially our pineal gland, you know, the the, the most powerful organ in our body, probably, to uh, so get information. Yes. Yeah. Um, so once people understand how sound and resonance works, 
it's very easy to understand telepathic capacity and how some people can be absolutely clear telepathic communication, how some people can channel information, channel information from the past and channel information from the future, if you want to call it that, um, or different dimensions, because it's all just different frequencies of, of reality. Different dimensions are just probably different uh, areas that we call past, present, and future. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the information that I get is not just from mainstream science and physics, but also from the ability of, to use our, our comprehension of sound resonance and frequency and tapping into other layers of knowledge and information. And I've had over the past 13 years of studying the, the ruins of Southern Africa, dozens, probably hundreds, I can say with, with confidence, at least 200 psychics, channelers, shamans, people that have special ESP abilities, tell me exactly the same bits of information over and over and over again. Wow, it's possible for them means we can use mainstream science, physics, and mathematics to argue that this is accurate and true, right? If you have hundreds of people telling you the same story, people that don't know each other, yeah. we can use the argument of statistical probability that it must be true because it's statistically impossible for these people to, to reach the same conclusion and have the same storyline and information. Um, and one of these great examples happened to me in 2019, last year when I was on, uh, on, on tour of, of the USA, I was in, um, in uh, Washington State at the Eseti Ranch with James Gitterland. James Gitterland is a good friend of mine now. And that's, he owns a ranch where you see UFOs every day, every night. There is never a time that you don't see a UFO. <laughs> they do the strangest things. Okay. So this is just a really special place to go to. So one of the guys I bumped into, there is a guy called John Vivenko who teaches remote viewing. Remote viewing is a, is the ability of psychic people being able to look uh, um, psychically into, for example, a military base in Russia or a military base in China. The American military have been using and the Russian and Chinese military have been using uh, remote viewers for decades and decades mm -hmm. in this war already the Germans were using. Yeah, that's, that's documented actually. So yeah. Exactly. So yeah, it's okay. documented. It's part of military history. So there's nothing new. But if people don't know about it, they think it's hocus pocus. Well, it's not hocus pocus. So uh, John Vivenko, I showed him the, the fingertip. I've got this fingertip, which is about this big of a giant, which is in my museum here. Um, and I said, look, I believe this is a finger of a giant. And I explained to him why. And he said, well, do you want me to remote view this for you? I said, yes, please. So he took it. He took it. He, all he did is took a picture of it right there. We were standing outside around the fire and he took a picture of the stone. Now remember, this is just a stone to the average person. It's a rock, right? So he took a picture of this rock and he sent it to 12 of his remote viewers around the world. And he gave it a number. He says, this is a stone. The next morning, I met him for a cup of coffee around the fireplace outside overlooking Mount Adams, uh, where the UFOs fly into all the time. Uh, and, um, uh, and, he said, and I said to him, sir, did you get any feedback from your remote viewers? And he said, yes. Um, all, uh, all, all of them came back. I think there were 12 people that he sent it to. Uh, it might be a few less. It might be a few more. But he said all of them came back with saying that it was a toe of a giant that was severed during a time when the giant was being killed. Huh. One person came back, it's either a toe or a finger of a giant. So 
we have statistical probability that tells us it is a toe of a giant. <laughs> yeah, that's answers. great. Yeah, I love that story. Oh. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's and, fascinating. And just, you know, based, <laughs> sorry, Anders, based on the size of that finger, it's about 50 times the size of a, of a, of a human front finger or little toe. Mm. Uh, so 50 times, that'll make it like 70 meters tall. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen the pictures of this. So it's, it's, yeah, it's really mind-boggling, mind-blowing to think about these things. But it's, and, and there's much more, you know. So in, yeah. in the mountains around us, so we've got these millions of stone circles. We've got mm. the channels that run down the mountains. We've got, the, we got the, 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 the network of terraces. So they were either growing food, and it looks like they were growing huge amounts of food. That food was energized by the frequencies creating, created uh, by the stone circles or generated by the stone circles. So the food grew better. It didn't, it didn't need so much water and so forth. Um, we can talk a lot more about that because there's a whole science behind it as well. You know, yeah. so, so my I think it, it should be said at this point that the, the, the notion that extraterrestrials have been visiting the earth in prehistoric times uh, has been conveyed by, by other uh, several scientists and independent writers, notably Eric von Däniken. So, I mean, you're not alone. Yes. There, there are others. Uh, so what about... Atlantis and Lemuria, you know, uh, and the supposed Young Dryas cataclysm that wiped out. You're talking about this, the flood and maybe several floods, but other people are talking about these things too. The Young Dryas period was supposedly a period of cat a cataclysm where there was a, a gigantic flood that wiped out um, civilizations. For example, what is normally referred to as Atlantis and Lemuria, supposedly continents. Uh, uh, situated in the Atlantic Ocean and the, and the Pacific Ocean. What's, what are your thoughts about those, uh, those things that people are talking about, like well, Graham Hancock and others? Yeah, look, th there's overwhelming evidence that the, the, the oceans have risen and dropped uh, tremendously, you know, up to, up to maybe 200, 400 meters at times, sometimes yeah. in the world to a few islands and then, and then and f falling back down. So um, that is indisputable. Uh, and what that did to the world is difficult to say because at this stage we don't really know how far back our history goes and if anybody claims that it goes back you know so many thousands of years and so many i'll tell them you know what just keep an open mind because right now i'm sitting on evidence that suggests that civilization on earth goes back millions of years advanced civilization not just thousands of years mm. not hundreds of thousands of years but most likely millions of years and, uh, and that's just not something that you'll find in mainstream history books because they've wiped that out. I also sit on evidence that giants roamed the earth. I mean, I have evidence around me in the mountains of giants that were a mile high, one mile high giants, just like the book of Enoch tells us. Mm, mm, mm. Okay. The book of <laughs> Enoch tells us very clearly that the giants were 3,000 L's tall. Yeah. And that's been considered, you know, just fantasies, uh, of course. Yeah, of course. These are not fantasies. People in ancient times were not stupid. They just didn't necessarily know how to write. So they would draw pictures. So they would, they would capture the stories and the history with pictures. There are countless number of, of murals of people's history and people's events that they captured that happened to them in special places, under rocks, all over the world history captured by people as it happened to them because they always write. Writing, was a writing is a relatively uh, modern, uh, modern uh, era phenomenon, you know? So 
when people couldn't write, they would capture the history and the, the events in pictures and drawings. And we better take it seriously. And it's unfortunately those that try and control us. And that goes back to the Rothschild empire. Those that are trying to dumb us down, turn us into an obedient labor force that knows nothing, basically a species with amnesia. We don't know who we are, we come from and why we're here. And so it's, it's that level of disconnectedness from our ancestors that makes us so vulnerable to lies and that makes us so dumb and naive so they can keep lying to us over and over again. And we just believe it because we just believe that our leaders are really good people. They just are not capable of fixing the problems. Uh, well, well, maybe it's changing. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, I, well, of course, it's, it's a, extremely important that we get to know what, uh, I mean, the origins, the, 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 the true history of, of our own species. I mean, that's, that's obvious. But a philosophical reflection might be that if, uh, I mean, spiritual or philosophical reflection is that if we are souls, basically, essentially souls, having a human experience, you know, that we are souls in, in bodies that have in, yes. incarnated and maybe many times incarnated here. Doesn't this story about how the physical human race evolved gets a little, get a little bit less significant, if you see what, what I mean? Uh, yes and no. I think uh, it gets less significant and yet at the same time highly significant because it seems that if this is the case, that Earth is this amazing realm where souls come to have this human experience, whether yeah. it's an experience of being a plant or an ant or a flea or a dog or a human, uh, and this is quite possibly and quite probably the case because it truly is an incredible adventure that we're all going through here. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this soulful experience has been hijacked by a group of beings with malicious intent to trap the souls and strip the souls of their soul memory. And I think this is what happened here. This is at the moment what I believe to be the case. And uh, so the, and it could be the Anunnaki, it, or it could be another group of malicious beings that somehow discovered a technology. Um, and I think there's a researcher called Ashiana Dean that refers to this uh, BST, the blank slate technology. And it's possible that the world beast possibly comes as related to that, who knows. But the, it's got a lot of very important stuff encoded in it. Mm. Uh, but many languages are. But, uh, but there was a group of beings that developed this technology so that when your soul leaves your body, whatever body you, your soul embodied at the time during your, your earth experience, your soul leaves your body, it goes through this, what they created, this electromagnetic or some sort of an energetic layer that then strips your soul of its soul memory. And you don't know who you are, where you come from, and why you're here. And, uh, and, and then, then you just come back unconscious of who you are. But the moment you become conscious, and this is why it's called enlightenment, and the higher levels of consciousness you reach, the more your DNA kicks in, and this is why they're trying to keep us dumbed down, unconscious, ignorant of who we are, where we come from, so that they stop uh, people becoming enlightened and, 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 and reaching highest levels of consciousness. Because once you reach a certain level of enlightenment that, and consciousness, that activates many more parts of your DNA which are currently inactive, which gives you more capacity and more ability to reconnect to your, to your purpose on earth. And, um, and I believe that more and more people are reaching that moment of enlightenment. And this is why ancient yeah. prophecy, who understands timelines, was talking about this time that we, I believe mm -hmm. we are experiencing right now, mm -hmm. where 
large numbers of people around the world are going through that enlightenment moment going, oh my God, we're just souls trapped on earth. Yeah. So when you die and you, you have a choice, you either come back or you, you, you go to another experience somewhere else, whatever that experience might be in, in, across space and time and creation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the moment, uh, people believe the following. People believe that karma and it's a karmic trap. So those people that, that those beings, shall I say, those malicious beings that created the, what I call the karmic trap. Karma is not a natural thing. Karma are the beings that set up this blank slate technology to, to strip our soul memory. So when you die, you die and you fear, especially people that are under strong religious fear. Oh, you better believe you pray on your knees, ask for forgiveness and all this because, you know, because when you die, you don't want to go to hell, eternity, damnation forever and yeah. ever. And all that kind of horrible, dark, horrible stuff. And that takes away from who we are. We are one with the creator. We are all fractals, tiny fractals of creation that have all the knowledge and information of all of creation. So can you imagine if our DNA connects to this, to this um, morphogenetic field that is filled with all the knowledge of all space and time and all of creation, we can never be fearful of anything because we know that we are with God. We are one with the creator, one with all of creation. But we've chosen to come and experience this little moment in this physical world to experience gravity and water and what it's like to, to share whatever and fly, you know? So, so yeah, but maybe that was the point. I mean, that's the, the whole point of the human experience. We're supposed to forget when we are, when we are born into these bodies, to, 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 to be here as if we're in school in some way, to, to learn the physical experience. And then when we die, we suddenly remember again. And then, oh, it's, well, you know, you've heard about this. <laughs> yes. My, my feeling is that that's, that shouldn't be the case. My feeling is that the moment you separate, um, and actually there is a, there is a, a Sumerian translation that suggests that this happened. Uh, this is this is um, this is this is what actually woke me up. And, uh, that there's a Sumerian translation that says they have created a great sin, so great that they were cast out of the book of life. Hmm. And that, for a long time, puzzled me, troubled me. It's like what what could be a sin so great against all of creation? that the Anunnaki could be cast out of the book of life. Hmm. Uh, and then I, then I thought about it and it came to me in meditation that what the Anunnaki did or could have been a faction of the Anunnaki is that they, they stripped humans from, they separated us from creation. They, they, they created this, this blank slate technology that strips us of our soul memory. So we forget, we forget that we are one with the creator. Yeah. So that's the original sin. That's the fall from grace. From, it's impossible. We are one with creation. Everything yeah. in creation is connected. The moment you separate conscious human beings from creation, you have created a sin so great against all of creation that you are going to be cast out of the book of life or yeah. the book of creation. That's when you make a group of beings forget that they are one with creation. And that's what's happened to humanity. Humanity. We have forgotten. We don't know that we are one with creation. And this is, we look at us. We, we constantly think that we are separate from creation. We're separate from nature. 
Um, but things are changing now. I think I, yes. I'm, I'm with you. I, I agree with much, much of what you're saying, of course. But I, in my view, the world has, at least on the physical side of things, uh, never been as good as it is today. Uh, but you are sometimes talking about uh, us being more and more uh, enmeshed in this, this lie and this uh, terrible... Well, it's just uh, what's happening is that the lie is becoming bigger and bigger because the the higher the levels of consciousness, the higher the moment, the the levels of enlightenment, the the more draconian the attack of the globe to feed us with false information, to feed us with false education. The, The media, the television is used all the time, nonstop to dumb us down, to, to, to make us believe otherwise. They want to the process of enlightenment. Uh, and I think we're reaching the critical mass very quickly. And somehow, somehow, for some strange reason, it is all revolving around the 3rd of November, 2020, and the re-election of Donald Trump. As bizarre as this may seem to some people, yeah. that's what it comes down to. Uh, and for people that don't understand why I say this, let me make this very clear. Donald Trump is the first global leader that is, did not... He's not a politician. He's, a, he's into politics for very different reasons. And, and you can go and do your own research about it. He's the first global leader that has taken control of the central bank of the United States. Very few people are aware of this. Donald Trump is now fully in control of the Fed. Um, and some people might be shocked. How can you say this? I'm not going to go into the details of the reason why I know this. Just take this at face value and then look at some of the things that Trump has done to realize that he's in complete control um, of what's going on. And when he wins the re-election, this message, and first of all, so he's draining the political swamp. He's getting rid of all those political beast swamp creatures that have been there for 50 years that have just held the American people hostage through the global elite, the Rothschild political uh, banking empire, the large corporations, Gates, and all the you know vaccine atrocities around the world, all that horrible stuff that's going on. And, and he is getting rid of all those swamp creatures of, of, of real human beings that actually want to do good things for, for, the, for, the, for the re-elected. The, the message to take control of your central bank will go right across all the global leaders. And those who are still controlled by the central bank, who are basically held hostage, are going to have the freedom to then do what Trump did. And, uh, and remove themselves from the control of the Rothschilds. Remember that the Rothschilds don't have armies. They don't have an army to, to take your country over. They have used the money of their central bank and their puppet master presidents and prime ministers to control the people of that country and the armies to control the people. That's how it's worked for the last 250 years. And um, now that, that army is no longer controlled by the Rothschilds who control the president, who control the army. So now the president who has taken control of the central bank controls the army. And that's a whole new era into which we're moving. I'm not yeah. saying that is a solution for the world. I'm not saying that that's going to remove us from, from socioeconomic slavery. I'm saying that is the new platform that'll make what I call one small town and the Ubuntu movements, one small town strategy that brings us 100% prosperity. And yes. Let's, Yes. Segway for, over for to every, that because yeah. Yes, for for every single living, breathing human being, will have absolute prosperity and abundance on every level imaginable. And if people are new to this, are listening, please go into onesmalltown.org, 
or ubuntuplanet.org, read the website, watch the videos and get very, very, very excited. Because yeah. So this is your latest project, which is about uh, uh, people taking control of their own lives by, by st starting in small towns and, as far as I understand, eventually scrapping money altogether, having a society without money. Is that, is that the point? Or? Yes, yes. Uh, it's a very simple process. It's basically instead of large cities and countries and people that live in towns actually started to take care of themselves the way we would have done thousands of years ago or hundreds of years ago, where we, whatever we do and build and grow is for ourselves. And then the surplus gets exported. But the whole thing is, I'm not going to go into the details of it now because the details are very simple, laid out in very simple bullet points in the videos that I've done, in the documents that are on the website. And, uh, and basically what will what, happen with Donald Trump's re-election and taking control of the central banks by every country and every group of people in every country and every leader so that they're no longer controlled by the Rothschild banking empire and the centralized globalized uh, financial system, that'll create the platform for the one small town uh, plan of action to literally spring up all over the world, across all countries, across all borders. And um, what happens then is that it becomes such a powerful model for success. It becomes a model for success, financial success, because that town that creates this, this, this incredible success of cooperation and collaboration, where all the businesses that we have, starting from growing food, technology, healthcare, engineering, uh, anything you can imagine, bakery, dairy, everything we do, we do for ourselves. We, we, we open it up to investors. So the one small towns will become a, 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 a very strong attraction for investors, the conscious billionaires who want to safe and prosperous world for themselves and especially their children. Otherwise their billions will be gone in no time. And their children will be in a miserable world of warfare, conflict and, and, and hardship. So it's really now the conscious billionaires that are stepping up and realizing that it's up to them to fund the future prosperity and abundance and a beautiful world for their children. It is an incredible thing. And what I call it, I call it using the tools of enslavement as tools of liberation. Yeah. And you can't fight the system. As Buckminster Fuller said, you can't fight the current system to, to break it down. You just create a new system that makes the current system obsolete mm. fighting is not going to achieve anything can you tell us a little bit about your your, your fight with the banks uh, uh con the concrete fight with your banks through by way of this what you call promissory notes a bit mischievous uh, of a, some well, kind of a well it's you know it's it's really just uh, it was my lesson that brought me to this point in 2009 i realized like many people that banks and money is just a, a big scam that they have nothing, they create money out of thin air. And I went through my own process of, of defying the banks, ended up in court in the Supreme Court of Johannesburg for three years fighting the banks, um, claiming that they had no right to take my property, they had no right because they don't own the property, they sold the contract to somebody else. So I went through that whole process and uh, eventually they couldn't beat me after three years and they bribed the judge that read a pre-written uh, judgment in front of a court that all was shocked to see that he just pulled up a piece of paper after three hours of argument and read the judgment for a, from a pre-written piece of paper. And basically I was hit with a, a 1 million rand bill for my three years of, of court uh, expenses. Plus they sold my house. At which point I then drew up a promissory note 
and I've paid the bank all the costs that they, that they, uh, they hit me with, with, a, with my own promissory note. And they never contested it, so I actually used their own system to pay the bank. Is, with, is that right? They never contested it? So they accepted no. your promissory note? There were actually four. There were four separate promissory notes that added up to about one million rand, just short of one million rand, which is a lot of money. My house was less than a million rand. My, sold my <laughs> How house much is that in dollars? Oh, well, it, you can't talk about it like that. A million rand home here would be equivalent to a million rand home in, in, in the USA. So it, it, a million dollar home in the USA. So, okay, okay, never mind. So you got it. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, but, but it's probably $100,000. So at that time, it was $100,000. Mm. Um, so, but the point is that that was my education. That was my experience that led me to be able to be, first of all, clear about the money system, how it works and how the courts work and how it's all an absolutely predetermined, controlled mechanism. Uh, how the, the judicial system and the courts are just an instrument of the corrupt puppet masters that run the country that report back to the Rothschild banking empire at the central banks. That's all, that's the pyramid, the pyramid of control. And the, the judicial system, the courts, is a very important part of their control. Because if they lose the control of the, uh, of the judiciary system, then they can't, can no longer control the people. And this is why right now, the communist Marxist Democrats in, in, in the USA are going crazy about this appointment of a new judge because they know that once the, the, you know, once the, the, the patriots or whatever take control uh, of the courts in the USA and they haven't in, infested the, the Supreme Court with, with Marxists and communists that control through the Rothschild Empire, they've lost control of the people. So it, this, it, you know, I, I want to come back to this there's some sort of a divine cosmic plan. Third mm. of November and the election in the United States by an outside imposter that came and drained the political swamp against all odds. No one ever imagined or believed it was possible. And yet it has become not only possible, but it, it looks like Trump is going to win with a huge landslide victory. Well, how and, do you, how, what do you base that on? Oh, just, I mean, <laughs> look, have you seen have you seen what happens at the Biden Biden rallies? Twenty people rock up. One of some of the rallies a few days ago at his rally. Nobody rocked up. So and yet the mainstream media still say Biden is in the lead. So you can see the power of the mainstream media in the USA is a great example of how the Rothschild banking empire, through all their agents, all their instruments, and the media being the most powerful instrument right now is this non-stop lies and propaganda. It never stops 24-7, and it's not working. So, Well, as, as he says himself, we'll see what happens. He says yes. that a lot, Donald Trump, and we'll, we will actually yes. very much see what will happen after the, November the 3rd. You know, uh, look, people need to understand, I'm not necessarily a fan of Donald Trump, but I'm a fan of what he's done to the global elite. He has completely destroyed their narrative, and this is why they hate him so much. He's a disruptor. He's a, he's a, he's stirring the pot. That's that's for and, sure. I mean, but look, anyone look, can see look, that. Yeah, but look what he's done economically. He he created the strongest economy in the USA history. He's done three peace deals, four peace deals. He's got three, three Nobel Prize nominations. I mean, the guy has done stuff that the political swamp has not done in fifty years. So you've got to look at the achievements. Um, what, and, and I'm, and I'm not, not saying that he's got the solution, but what I'm saying is that through the taking control of the central bank, he has provided the solution for the future. The 
platform from where we're no longer slaves to the Rothschild empire. And from there, we can then go to the next level of absolute freedom and control. And for that, I have no question in my mind that the one small town strategy of the Ubuntu movement is that way forward. There is no other strategy than the one small town that is as, as elegant, as simple, as all-inclusive. There's nothing, nothing else out there. Otherwise, I'd be supporting that something else. Right, right now, it uh, doesn't matter who you are, what religion you are, whether you're rich or poor, everyone is included in the success and the abundance and prosperity of the one small town model. And the yeah. moment- and can, you say, and can you tell the, uh, the audience just what, where, where to go? What's the, what's the name of the website there? What's the address so of the website? It's, it, this is also a good point to maybe end this discussion um, uh, because I have to get on with- Yes, some other... we, we will wrap this up. So, so, so basically one small town, very simple. Uh, people come together in a small town. It's, it's driven by the mayor who decides, okay, I've had enough of, of my town falling apart. Nothing works. There's never enough money. I want to do something different for my children, my future, my family, and the rest of the people who also want to do something better for their future, their children, and their families. So they do it. The mayor can lead it. We have our own technology. We have new technology, new electricity generators that are, you know, some people call it free electricity, call it whatever you want. Basically, we manufacture these generators and these generators are given to that community. So that community has their own supply of electricity. Whether it's one megawatt or a thousand megawatts, doesn't matter. Our, our generators can stack to any size you want. So we have new technology. This technology is not being released on purpose to the world. Because if we release this to the world, to the big corporations, they'll take it, they'll use it for their benefit and abuse the rest of humanity. So, so that your listeners know, we've been approached by many investors. We've been offered more than a billion dollars for this. We are not giving it to anybody. This belongs to the people. So we will only release this once a town and a mayor say we want to do this. Then they will get the generator that belongs to everyone in that community to, together. It never belongs to one individual. It doesn't belong to the mayor. It doesn't belong to any investor. It belongs to all the people of that community. And that's, that's how we prevent anyone stealing or running away with it. And that electricity then is used to set up everything in that community, whether it's growing food, whether it's technology, whether it's industry, whatever it is. You need electricity to create prosperity today. Yeah. And from that point, we then identify the industrial opportunity. Which factories are standing empty? Which farms are standing empty? Uh, what uh, special people do we have? Are there bakeries are standing empty? Are there, are there uh, dairy farms standing empty? And we invite investors to come and invest into that, the bakery or the growing of corn or the engineering plant. And that investor will come and invest as the, as the principal investor, and all the people in that community become co-owners of that business. It's, it's divided into the Holy Trinity, one-third, one-third, one-third. So the investor retains one-third of that business, and the two-thirds go back to the people in cash. One-third gets distributed of the profits of that business. One-third gets distributed to the people of the community, and the other third is used for upgrading and improving and maintaining the town and that particular business. It is a very simple, very elegant model. We've had dozens and dozens economists and business plan models, guys, you know, looking at it. And every time this happens, they always come 
with their eyes like this. And oh, they really? go, oh my God, I can't believe this. It I've actually works. <laughs> yes, it not, not only works, it works many, many times more successfully than any capitalist model that we've tried against it. So Fantastic. we think it's going to work. We know it's going to work using capitalist economists telling mm -hmm. us it's going to work. <laughs> Fantastic. So that's onesmalltown.com, is it? No, no, onesmalltown.org. Dot .org, one, sorry, onesmalltown.org. One um, and, uh, and you realize what happens is that this small town will set up all these businesses that'll just become very financially very strong. Now, mm. I want to give you a small example just to show you, just allow people to just let their mind run wild. Okay. And keep in mind, yeah. this investment will be in everything, in sports, arts, culture, technology, healthcare. Do you know how much money a hospital makes every year? Do you know how much money our healing center that cures cancer will make? in a small town. When people realize that we can actually cure cancer and you know that we can cure cancer. So that's what we're gonna do because our town is not gonna be controlled by the big pharmaceutical companies. It's gonna be controlled by us, the people who will mm. cure cancer. We know, we know the people that can cure cancer, but they, they are oppressed and there's never enough money for them to get anywhere. And they're always stopped by the big pharma corporations. So you can imagine how much money our hospital is going to make. Now, when I say money, people think, oh, but I thought you're making a, a world without money. Yes, we are creating eventually a world without money, but we're doing it by using the tools of enslavement as tools mm. of liberation. This is a process that's going to start slowly. And as it gets stronger and stronger, it's going to speed up and speed up until one day people realize that we haven't used money for the last year or two, and yet we have more money than we've ever had before, and yet we don't need to use it. Because... Whatever we do in our town, in our community, is free to the people of our community. But we charge for the people outside of our community. So if we make computers, everybody will get a export of our computers around the world. Because everybody works in the different businesses. The whole one small town model is structured on everybody contributes three hours a week towards one of the businesses or one of the projects. The three hours a week model often confuses people. It's very, very simple. You know, so if you have a town of 10,000 people, you got 30,000 hours of labor per week. That's a lot of hours of labor. Mm. And that's enough to make it running, so, so to speak. That's, that, the model works so smoothly and so well. And also, please understand, we have very advanced technology. We have very advanced blockchain technology. So we know exactly who to put where. It's not just a bunch of hippies getting together, growing food on a patch of land. No, this is the most structured, most the best possible business plan and business model put together that we can imagine because we're now doing it for the benefit of everybody in our community. The benefit for the investor is that the investor has no, no hostile competition, no hostile competitors because we only have one bakery in our town. That bakery is owned by the investor and all the people of the town. So when we bake bread, we're baking bread for everybody and we're exporting bread to all the supermarkets and all the hotels and everybody we need to export bread to. But there's no competition between one bakery and another bakery. We're all benefiting from the bakery. And when I said one small town is gonna to be a huge attraction for conscious billionaires and conscious millionaires, and it's got, I believe it's going to become a stampede. The moment, mm. the moment the first one small town takes off, there's going to be a stampede of investors because there are only so many small towns in the world. 
There's a finite number of towns that you can invest in. And all these millionaires are going to be going, oh my God, I need to get in on this. Can you see yeah. what's going to happen? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like um, you said, using, using the enemy's tools to, to, to liberate yes. yourself. Yeah. So then, then what happens, just to finish the story on a high note, is what happens is, is the, the, the profits from these businesses get distributed to all the people every month. So you're going to get all this money and you're going to put it in your bank. You still have a bank account. Nothing changes. We're not saying we're stopping life. Everything carries on as normal. You might still have your job somewhere. You don't have to stop your job to be part of a one small town. You can still work, carry on. But there'll come a time that you'll be making more money every month from the, from the distribution of the profits than you're getting from your job. So what are you going to do? Are you going to carry on working like a slave at some job for 10 hours a day? Or are you going to stop working like a slave and just carry, put more time into your town and your community because you're already getting as much money or more from your three hours a week? This is a no-brainer, right? So everybody's going to leave their jobs. So we're going to see a huge shift in how industry changes, how we create new materials. All the mines will probably close down because we no longer need to have mines. New materials will be created. We'll have different needs and mm. everything will change. And people have more money in the bank than ever before. But because everything is free, the food, the education, the healthcare, everything is free to the people of our community. So you don't have to use the money in your bank. So this is when I say the people realize, well, look at how much we have. We have all the stuff and yet we have all the money in the bank and we don't need to use the money. And that's when they realize yeah. we don't need money. We need each other money does nothing people do everything mm. on that note i think we can leave this discussion <laughs> <laughs> truly a high note wonderful michael tellinger thank you so much for being on the show and good luck with all those mind-bending discoveries and this beautiful ubuntu one small town project excellent thank you very much anders <laughs>